Welcome back to Brojo Online. Lately I've had a number of my clients complain about a really common problem, which is basically being stuck in the comfort zone even though it's an uncomfortable place to be. So being stuck in a rut like a bad job, bad relationship, bad thought patterns, terrible behaviours, knowing that there's a better way to live, and yet continually choosing that so-called comfort zone even though it's miserable to be there. And today I'm going to read three chapters from my upcoming book, The Naked Truth, that are all about the mystery of the comfort zone and what I like to call the familiar zone and why it is that we find it so difficult to break out of it. So if you're someone who's stuck in a rut, this one is for you. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. Chapter 7. Addicted to Comfort We'll start with a quote by Martin Luther King, Jr. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The drug we're all hooked on. There is a huge barrier to living honestly, one so subtle that for most people it flies completely under the radar. It is an epidemic addiction we must face and overcome if we wish to have integrity. It's a drug we're all taking and becoming increasingly addicted to. I'm not talking about meth or alcohol. I'm not talking about the obvious drugs like heroin, nicotine, or even caffeine. In fact, these are all often just servants to a higher master, the ultimate drug, emotional comfort. Binging on the drug of comfort is commonly referred to as staying in your comfort zone. It's a pursuit of an absence of pain, hassle, and fear. It's an enticing place. We can see many people spending large amounts of their time there, like the clone twins zoning out on Soma in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. But what is the comfort zone, exactly? What is this drug, and why is it so goddamned addictive? The comfort myth. When solving any problem, first you must clearly define it. I've already implied that becoming a more honest person will require you to leave the proverbial comfort zone. But before we even look at why we should leave our comfort zone, or how to do it effectively, we must first define what the comfort zone is exactly. What does it mean to be comfortable? I'd like to challenge the idea that the comfort zone is actually a genuinely comfortable experience, physically, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally. Sure, occasionally we can experience a semblance of measurable comfort, such as the feeling of lying on a sofa and having a nap. But most of the time, the so-called comfort zone is a decidedly uncomfortable place to reside. In my early 20s, living in my comfort zone meant coming home every day from the easy job I hated, smoking weed and eating snacks while I psychologically numbed myself in front of the television until dinner time, then smoking some more weed, masturbating to porn, then eating snacks in front of the television until bedtime. Then, on the weekends, I'd spend my days doing basically nothing except drinking myself into oblivion in nightclubs and bars I didn't even want to go to. Comfort meant pretending everything was okay. It meant avoiding confrontation and challenging social interactions and relationships. It meant disrespecting my health. It meant the same old shit, the same old social performing, Day after day, lie after lie. This was often somewhat physically and emotionally comfortable, 
but every night I lay awake with chronic insomnia and a sense of dread would slowly overtake me. I would frequently fantasize about my life being different, about connections and passion and freedom and adventure. I yearned to live. These fantasies were pleasurable to indulge in at first, but gradually they began to hurt as I was realizing the extent to which they represented everything that is wrong with my life. Each day I'd wake up to my alarm and immediately react with anxiety as I fought a brave struggle to avoid calling in sick for my shit job. I would get stomach cramps and urgently need the toilet whenever I entered an unfamiliar social situation due to the nervousness and pressure I always felt in anticipation of having to bust out a falsely positive social performance, what I like to refer to as the Dan Show. I avoided mirrors because I didn't want to acknowledge the state my body had ended up in after years of sugar binging. It doesn't really sound all that comfortable, does it? Sure, it was easy, simple, and physically effortless, but the price I had to pay made the whole experience measurably uncomfortable. My clients often report similar disappointments with their attempts to remain comfortable. The comfort zone is a place filled with neediness, longing, regret, worry, loneliness, numbness, guilt, self-loathing, boredom, and a fear of missing out. These are quite uncomfortable states to be in, which is why we drown these thoughts and feelings by being too busy, indulging in alcohol abuse and porn addiction, binge eating, compulsive social media scrolling, and surrounding ourselves with noisy yet shallow relationships. So if being comfortable is not actually all that comfortable, then what is so appealing about the comfort zone? Why do we constantly go back there? Why do we regularly cycle back to it as a place to recover from the harm in our lives that is actually generated from going to the comfort zone in the first place? The familiar zone. The comfort we seek is not about feeling comfortable physically or emotionally. The comfort actually comes from a sense of familiarity a perception where we believe we know the situation. You don't stay in a shitty job, boring relationship, or unhealthy lifestyle because it feels comfortable. You don't hide your emotions from your friends, work colleagues, and dates because you enjoy shallow and meaningless connections. No, you do all this simply because it's familiar. You feel like you know what to expect and how to manage yourself within the situation. You feel safe in knowing the rules, even if the situation itself is physically or emotionally painful. So let's begin by redefining comfort as simply being a state of knowingness that comes from our frequent visits to the familiar zone. Seeking comfort is not about a feeling, it's about an avoidance of the unknown, a fear of the unfamiliar. We see confusion, pain and failure to be somehow wrong, and therefore the comfortable sensation of knowing something well is deemed to be a success. We want to be successful, so we try to recreate that comfortable knowing feeling, often by simply running away from anything unfamiliar. We believe that experiencing familiar comfort is a measure of success, despite the overwhelming contradictory evidence we see all day long. We think being a celebrity actor is the highest status a person can have, because their fame and wealth appears to create endless comfort, yet we choose to ignore their constant suicides, visits to drug rehab, and revolving door divorce scandals. We think that not having to work hard for what we want is the ultimate achievement, to be an unchallenged expert. Yet we see the misery people go through when they live in a safe, familiar way, such as morbid obesity, stressfully unsatisfying careers, existential depression, suicide, and lonely social lives. 
We get raised to believe that all efforts are simply a temporary struggle towards the goal of never having to make an effort again. No more unknown. A heaven made of nothing but familiar comforts. School is aimed at preparing you for university, which is aimed at getting you a financially safe career, which is aimed at allowing you to save for retirement. So finally, by the age of 65, you can stop doing stuff. Or in other words, you can finally stop putting effort into living. From the beginning we are taught to strive for the end, the zone of total familiarity and, therefore, comfort, no matter what the costs are in terms of integrity and the compromise of truthfulness. We apply the same logic to marriage and buying a house, this idea of ticking off boxes until the list is finished. Lottery and other gambling institutions thrive on this addiction, as people try to get that big score to fast forward to retirement and the end of honest effort. Take a minute to look at the toil you put yourself through, this effort to end all effort, and ask yourself, is the thought of doing nothing really so appealing? Have you truly and deeply considered what it would be like to live without any effort at all? Does being yourself mean comfortably sitting around all day watching life pass you by, knowing everything and never being challenged? Those who have achieved what appears to be endless comfort and familiarity are faced with something that is far more harmful than the uncomfortable unknown, something that shatters their dreams and expectations about achieving an effortless life. Instead of feeling an ongoing sensation of happiness, like they were taught to expect, they experience something else entirely, soul-crushing boredom. Why is it that many celebrities, millionaires and other recipients of seemingly endless comfort still suffer from depression and drug abuse, commit suicide at the heights of their careers, and drag themselves through disastrous relationships, just like all us hard-working schmucks? Why do they never seem completely satisfied? Well, to quote fictional rock star Tommy Hansen from Ben Elton's High Society, So what do you do when you have it all? How can you top that? Well, you take drugs, of course. Remember how painful it was to be bored when you were a kid? I would get restlessly anxious and bug my parents to give me something to do. But, of course, because I was already being brainwashed into believing the dangerous lie that comfort is the ultimate achievement, I automatically reacted with stubborn resistance to any suggestion they made that required effort or facing the unknown. I would be both bored and yet unable to cure my boredom, stuck in a ruthlessly helpless state, simply because comfort didn't deliver the goods like I was indirectly promised it would. The familiar is comfortable, so when you believe that comfort is success, you become trapped in an impossible hell. You can't push your comfort zone and grow because anything scary or painful is automatically assumed to be a failure, so you avoid it. Yet if you only engage in things that are familiar, you end up building a miserably uncomfortable life. New levels of honesty are always uncomfortable to explore, so if you don't allow yourself to be uncomfortable, you have no choice but to live dishonestly. A dishonest life is filled with shame, missed opportunities, fear of being exposed, low self-respect, superficially fake relationships, endless social pressure, and soul-crushing boredom. Comfortable? Hardly. What is discomfort? We can see that discomfort is therefore mostly about stepping into the unfamiliar. Throughout this book, we'll simply and clearly translate the art of choosing discomfort as practical actions you can take to be more honest. But first I'd like to point out that while discomfort may include a range of uncomfortable feelings, both physical and emotional, 
The most common way to step out of your familiar zone is to do something that is likely to cause you confusion. Discomfort, particularly in relation to being more truthful, is really about willfully engaging in an action where you don't really know what you are doing. All your life you have been conditioned and pressured to believe that you need to know what you are doing. Failure, anxiety, uncertainty, confusion, fear, frustration. You were taught that these mental and emotional states indicated there was something wrong with you. When you got the answers wrong at school, you weren't praised for trying, instead you were punished for failing. When you asked someone out because you thought they liked you, and they surprisingly said no, you were encouraged by your peers to feel guilty about your mistake. Week after week, your brainwashed friends, family, and authority figures conditioned you to believe that uncertainty and failure were bad and wrong, so you became scared of anything unfamiliar. Essentially, discomfort is about trying something new, something unfamiliar. Something where there's no guarantee of success, or where even a failure won't be what you think it is. You can't be sure that you'll do it well. Discomfort means moving forward with a high risk or even a complete certainty, of total failure. The distance between you and integrity is closed through uncomfortably risky attempts to express yourself. Increasing honesty is the simplest way to create manageable yet unfamiliar situations that will build your confidence. Leaving your comfort zone is about welcoming painful states of being. It means willingly choosing to lose and fail and learn, to be a beginner and a student again, and to let go of what you currently believe to be true. To start with no clear end in mind. Simply put, to choose honesty over quick success. Discomfort is about accepting the unknown and welcoming it into your life, through expressing yourself or taking an action that invites or provokes these uncertain emotions to occur. Not only will we now accept failure, risk and confusion, we'll actively seek it out for the sole purpose of maintaining your integrity. Chapter 8 the three fears that make us lie. I'll start with a quote by Alan Alder. You have to leave the city of your comfort and go into the wilderness of your intuition. What you'll discover will be wonderful. What you'll discover is yourself. Why don't we enjoy discomfort? We often think the very word uncomfortable is synonymous with unpleasant. But is this true? When you're frustrated while trying to learn something new, do you not also enjoy it? I do. When I'm working through a new acrobatic trick with my dance partner, or trying to solve the riddle of a new advertising funnel in my business, I'm frustrated emotionally and yet simultaneously enjoying myself mentally. I'm confused and uncertain, yet I don't mind feeling this way. Indeed, I actively sought this situation out when it could easily have been avoided. In these situations, I associate discomfort with growth, challenge, discovery, learning, and progress. However, in other situations, I might see myself avoid change and learning because I associate the inevitable discomfort with pain, failure, and humiliation. On the surface, these other situations are not all that different from something I enjoy, like learning a new dance move, yet I react with revulsion rather than passion. Why would I be happy to go through the discomfort of dance learning and yet shy away from the same type of discomfort when it comes to practicing my new Czech language skills? What about admitting fault to my audience or confronting my partner? Why is the dance context deemed okay for discomfort and these others are not? 
When I explored and investigated these contradictions, both in my own life and those of my coaching clients, some common fears kept coming up that transformed discomfort from a welcome learning sensation into disgust and avoidance. Let's explore these to see if they also apply to you. Fear number one, the future will be worse. Sometimes people avoid leaving their familiar zone even if it currently sucks because of fearing that what they might find will be even more painful. Not only that, they also fear that they will not be able to come back to their familiar zone if they leave it, like the door will be locked behind them if they dare to explore alternative possibilities. For this reason, many people never start something new, something they honestly want to explore, and will instead tolerate a sufferable yet familiar long-term situation. For example, staying in a miserable marriage for fear that dating will be difficult and unsuccessful. Some people won't dare to even just express an honest interest in something new, for fear that this will somehow commit them to some kind of irreversible failure. If I consider quitting my job to find a better one, I'm afraid that not only will there be no better jobs, but that I'll also never be able to come back to my current job. Even though my current job blows, my mind can fictionally concoct an even worse scenario, me never finding work again and ending up begging on the streets, which compels me to believe the different equals worse narrative my fear is trying to sell me. This is another great example of how we can lie to ourselves without requiring even a single piece of evidence. I can be afraid of homelessness, despite having never experienced it myself, nor even having heard of a single person who has become homeless from exploring new jobs. Believing the fiction my mind creates about the unknown future makes me feel like there is no point in even looking for another job, despite the fact that simply searching for another job comes with no risk or obligation. When you notice yourself refusing to even investigate other options, you know fear is controlling you. There's rarely harm in doing some research, like looking at other jobs, seeking new friends or partners, or trying new hobbies. Yet if you refuse to even look at the options, it means that for some fictional reason you've already decided it's not worth it. You've decided this without any evidence that the future could be painful, while there's already plenty of evidence that your current situation is definitely painful. I used to see this kind of mindset a lot when I worked with women who suffered from battered wife syndrome. Some of these women would finally leave an abusive and often life-threatening partner, and yet just days or weeks later they'd be begging the bastard to take them back. This seemingly destructive and pointless pattern baffled me for the longest time. It seemed clear to me that it was definitely more painful to go back to an abusive guy than to be a bit lonely, and for some of these women it had taken huge amounts of courage and resourcefulness to leave in the first place. So why would they so frequently go back to the nightmare? Well, some were just well manipulated, but many more told me it's because they worried the next guy might be worse, or that being alone could be worse in the longer term. So they went back to the familiar comfort and took more beatings. We might judge them or pity them or consider them to be an extreme case that doesn't resonate with us, but let us look at ourselves more closely before we dismiss them. In what situations are you willingly exposing yourself to a disrespectful treatment when you could just leave? What areas of your life suck but you continue to suffer because you can't seem to find the time to look for something new? Where in your life are you avoiding an unknown future simply because you've guessed it will be worse and decided it's not even worth exploring? Fear number two. This is as good as it gets. 
When we try something new, we open ourselves up to imminent risk of failure. The fear of failure is common and seems obviously present in most people. But deep behind this surface level anxiety lurks a subtle yet even greater fear. The one that asks, what if there is only failure? We might be okay with a few bumps on the road towards success, but what if the bumps turn out to be impenetrable walls of solid, never-ending failure without hope of success? What if it turns out all our efforts were as pointless as trying to empty the ocean with a bucket? As unlikely as this might seem when written down, most of us still believe it when it comes to real-life challenges in unfamiliar situations. I've seen many people hold themselves back from taking a risk because they're afraid the result will be much worse than a simple failure. They're secretly worried that they'll uncover confirmation that they can never succeed. Some undeniable proof that failure was the only thing that was ever waiting for them. Essentially, we fear that our last shreds of hope will be destroyed by evidence if we try. If we don't try, we can always hold on to the possibility, the maybe one day fantasy of success. We are terrified that if we try and fail, the dream will be destroyed, all hopes forever terminated. If I don't ask that girl out on a date, she can always remain a maybe. There will always be a chance she could say yes. However, if I actually ask her out, there is the risk she will say no fucking way, ever. Goodbye to that hopeful maybe. And worst of all, it possibly means also saying goodbye to the hope that anyone will eventually love me. Many people act like they'd prefer to die alone just hoping for love than to ever take the risk of somehow confirming that no love exists for them. I believe that due to the lack of critical thinking training in primary and secondary education, we grow up affected by cognitive biases without realizing, and end up learning to make massive assumptions about likelihoods for our future based on limited experiences. As Daniel Kahneman shows in his book Thinking Fast and Slow, Humans are simply terrible at estimating statistical likelihoods. We start to view single failures as representative and global, like the idea if one person doesn't like me then no one does or ever will. We'd rather not confirm such a horrific fate, so we begin to avoid provoking any evidence whatsoever. This avoidance feeling is commonly known as feeling uncomfortable. If something we truthfully want to express or do feels wrong, we simply don't do it. No questions asked, so that no scary evidence is irrevocably revealed. Some of us want to hold on to the hope of change more than we want to actually improve our lives. We tell ourselves that we're lucky to be in the situation we're in, even when it's obviously unsatisfying and painful, and then we follow that with guilt-tripping ourselves for wanting more. This hope and promise of change somehow occurring in the future is simply a lie to hide the truth that we're afraid to accidentally stumble upon irrefutable evidence that we're not good enough. We fear that confirmation of this terrifying not good enough concept is out there, waiting to be found, and we need to avoid it by not failing, which is achieved by not even trying to express ourselves at all. The result, of course, is that we have no success, so we end up guaranteeing the not good enough story we're so afraid of. If we were instead to regularly try and fail, at least we'd give ourselves a chance. Fear number three, I'll be embarrassed. As Richard Dawkins discusses in his book The Selfish Gene, embarrassment is taught to us because of the drive for social harmony in our genes. Our ancestors survived because the tribe approved of them in moral terms, while most of the wildcard mavericks died off before they could raise offspring. 
As I often say, we are the descendants of social pussies, and we are upholding their legacy. This is sometimes referred to as the chameleon effect. We unconsciously mimic each other and conform to survive socially. Unfortunately, due to accelerated technological advancements overtaking our slow natural evolution process, our brains are still wired for a completely different social environment from thousands of years ago. And we need to manually upgrade from this extremely outdated and irrelevant mindset. We believe that we will be socially punished if we are seen by others to be unacceptable, which usually means being caught feeling confused and uncertain, or to be seen failing in our attempts. Many of us choose to remain unimpressive to avoid this disapproval. We then put ourselves into a victim mindset by claiming that other people cause us to feel this way, that the threat of embarrassment is holding us back. We blame a faceless society for pressuring us into conformity. What is society, anyway? Is it represented by any single person? A specific group? The governing bodies? An Agent Smith-like figure from the Matrix who can morph into anyone? The party and thought police from George Orwell's 1984? Who specifically is holding you back and how exactly are they doing this? There is some substance to this fear. In New Zealand, for example, we have a pervasive yet intangible cultural phenomenon called tall poppy syndrome. This is a phenomenon where people get cut down socially for trying to stand out in some way. We are punished for trying to leave the herd. I've seen this while being in a band. If we are the unknown band at the gig, no one will cheer for us or join the mosh pit. It's a metal band. Even if they enjoy the music. They first wait to see if anyone else is supporting us before they offer support. It's like they're afraid to back someone or something that could fail, that is not yet a proven success, and they don't want to make a move without first seeing social proof. No one wants to be the first to show interest in someone putting their head out above the crowd in case they'll get embarrassed by association. Bystander effect is a well-documented psychological phenomenon. It shows that the more people there are available to help, the less likely it is that anyone will help. For example, if someone falls down on the street and there are only five people nearby, one person will probably help. If that same person was to fall in front of 100 people, everyone assumes somebody else will give him a hand and so he is probably going to be left to die. It is hypothesized that one reason for this withdrawal of integrity is the fear of being embarrassed. Like most people, you'll think, but I would definitely help in that situation. Yet research clearly shows that you probably wouldn't if the crowd was above a certain size and the situation was a little more potentially uncomfortable, like telling someone they have water stains on the front of their crotch, unless you're an exceptionally brave or honest person. We'd rather risk someone else's life than face embarrassment. The thought of going to help the fallen person only to discover they don't want our help or that it's a prank of some kind and to then have spectators laugh at us is enough to prevent us from living by our values. We avoid honestly speaking our minds or starting a business, asking someone out or trying pull-ups at the gym because we'd prefer to miss out on opportunities rather than risk social disapproval. We choose social acceptance over honesty and let's face it, we probably do it simply because embarrassment just physically feels yuck to experience. This drive to contribute to social harmony is incredibly powerful. Embarrassment is the emotional warning sign that you're taking a risk and stepping out of line with society's expectations. 
I could ask you to imagine being 80 years old and regressing all the things you missed out on because you were trying to avoid embarrassment and disapproval, and yet even if this exercise pumped you up to be more authentic, tomorrow you'll probably just go back to avoiding any risk of humiliation. Honesty is all about courage. The point of this chapter is simply to increase your awareness around the fears that stand between you and integrity. Overcoming these fears will become a huge part of this book, and facing them honestly is a good start. Yes, you do bow down to social pressures, irrational negative fantasies, and the needy desire for self-preservation in the social sphere. But we all do this. It's our burden to overcome these temptations toward comfort. You will face these fears and more as you continue with this book. It won't mean having to do anything impossible or even high risk. It will just mean experiencing a few moments of increased emotional discomfort each week while words come out of your mouth and actions are performed by your body. You'll be okay. Imagine being unafraid of embarrassment. How much more could you accomplish? Guys, I'll just quickly cut in from the reading of the book here uh, to do a quick promo for the Brojo community, our international self-development community. And uh, if you're not already a member, membership is free. So please, go to brojo.org join and become part of the tribe. Our mission is to have a Brojo chapter in every major city around the world. So every member counts. And of course, you'll get access to tons of great resources, training courses and other materials, as well as the support from the coaches. It's a win-win situation, so get on board. Alright, back to the book. Chapter number 9. Saying goodbye to the comfort zone. Start with a quote by Linus Torvalds. Turtles are very stable and have been around forever, but they have problems adapting. When humans came along, turtles came under serious threat. Choosing confidence over familiarity. The pursuit of constant familiarity and emotional comfort is misguided and extremely ineffective if you're trying to create a meaningful life full of integrity, enjoyment of the process of living, and self-confidence. While comfortable and familiar resting periods are absolutely required for healing, reflection, and appreciation of life, too much time spent in the zone means being left behind. When you are comfortable in your familiar zone, you can be sure of only one thing. You are not growing or making significant progress. You are merely resting and recuperating because there is no experimentation or further learning taking place. Comfort is a sensation generated by your central nervous system. It's dopamine rush that feels good in the moment. However, it does not give you accurate feedback on how you'll end up feeling in the longer term. For example, for example alcohol may make you feel very comfortable and confident right now, but you will not be able to accurately anticipate the after effects of a hangover whilst you're drinking. The more satisfying longer term rewards, generated by hormones such as serotonin, the confidence feeling, and oxytocin, the connected loving feeling, often require you to sacrifice present moment feelings of comfort to willingly generate short term pain for a longer term reward. For example, choosing to spend years painfully building your own business with all the stress and confusion it entails in order to slowly build a truly rewarding career and faith in your abilities. As the world evolves around you, every extra moment you spend in a familiar dopamine-based comfort is a moment where you are at risk of falling behind the pace of this ever-changing environment. 
If you don't learn new things, technology will move on without you. If you don't push social boundaries, you'll end up with a stale social circle and unexciting relationships. If you don't challenge yourself in your career, you'll end up inexperienced and unable to adapt to the ever-changing global economy. Too much time and comfort will guarantee that you lose in the long term, without exception, because you'll simply become fragile and inflexible to change. Of course, not enough time spent being comfortable, relaxing, healing and reflecting, will mean you burn out. Like with all extremes, the answer often lies in variation and balance, in avoiding stubborn and inflexible loyalty to a single position. You can allow yourself to spend some time being comfortable, but the next push of honesty should always be just around the corner. Does that mean you need to be miserable to become authentic and confident? No. Such pessimism is simply a side effect of your belief that discomfort is bad. Throughout this book, I'm going to show you how choosing calculated discomfort through manageable doses of increased honesty creates fun, excitement, interest, motivation, learning, adventure, peace, satisfaction, endurance, anti-fragility, meaningful relationships, increased wealth, higher levels of impact, and all the other things you want that you currently think are represented by feeling comfortable. Hell, even a bit of embarrassment can help you enjoy life more in the longer term, because it helps to relieve shame. In Dr. Alison Gopnik's book, The Philosophical Baby, we see strong evidence that you were born confident in yourself and honest in your expressions. It is reasonable to assume that a subconscious faith in your ability to learn and grow, as demonstrated by the uninhibited play and development of healthy babies, is the baseline state of any human being, except perhaps those for whom development was impaired in utero. As a toddler, you learned how to stand and eat and honestly express your feelings without giving a fuck what any spectators thought of you, and without being discouraged by failure. Somehow, over time, as your attempts became ever more scrutinized and judged by people close to you, your confidence got buried in bullshit comfort-seeking beliefs and behavior. Therefore, through this book, you are not learning how to be yourself as much as you're going to relearn it. I'm going to walk you through the process of weaning yourself off your dangerously fragile and unhelpful addiction to comfort, so that you're once again free to be honest and live with integrity. Together, we're going to explore concepts like honest expression, courageous action, lifestyle balance, constant learning, and valued living, all of which are likely to create emotional discomfort while simultaneously increasing your self-confidence. Through these, we are going to let go of the outdated belief that a constantly comfortable life is good, and replace it with the idea that active, curious, and honest participation is what a good life is all about, even though these things don't always bring on an instant dopamine reward. Simply put, it's time to take action, and some of it might not feel good right away. So how do you leave your comfort zone? Using increased honesty to push your comfort boundaries in a measured way, with an intention to live by your core values, and allowing yourself to set reasonable limits to how much courage you can expect from yourself. This is the most direct and effective path to create both ongoing confidence and the ability to live with integrity. The more honest you are, the more you'll know who you are, and you'll see you being expressed and be able to sort between false and real expressions by measurement against your belief system. Being yourself is not a frozen static state. It is a constant learning process where you, as a concept, gets regularly updated, 
informed by attempts to be yourself, that are measured and refined. It's cyclical, not linear. You try to be yourself, you learn from the attempt, and then you try again with increased awareness and wisdom. The self-development industry is rife with the old cliché of getting out of your comfort zone. You're often advised to lean into your edge and push your comfort zone and face your fears. A lot of people talk about it, yet unfortunately few people can explain in simple terms how to do it. You're going to need to understand what it means to choose discomfort if you hope to increase your honesty. So let's dive into the practical application of this concept. Choosing discomfort. It's about accepting and welcoming calculated risks into your life, based on trying to be more honest through your words and actions. We'll dig deeply into this throughout the book, and in a later chapter I'll give you a step-by-step guide of overcoming fear beliefs, but for now here's a quick overview. Leaving your comfort zone, also known as the familiar zone, is not necessarily about trying to make yourself feel uncomfortable. It's more about welcoming the possibility of discomfort through failure, confusion, rejection, doubt, wild emotional reactions, disappointment, and frustration. And not just accepting or tolerating these painful experiences, but indeed actively seeking them out, trying to make them happen on purpose. I say that it's not necessarily about feeling uncomfortable, because I believe that with the right amount of exposure, you'll learn to enjoy these experiences over time. For example, I now look forward to having confrontations even though they were once my greatest fear. There's a mental adjustment required for this. When you notice yourself saying things like, but what if it goes wrong? You can reframe that to say, let's find out if I can handle it going wrong. There's an approach I take when leaving my familiar zone, which I was inspired to think of from the movie Fight Club. I seek to destroy any emotional attachments I have to comfortable familiarity. I want to destroy my limiting beliefs, untruthfulness, neediness, ego, suffering, fragility, unhealthy relationships, emotional sensitivity, and cowardice. This approach was and still is, ironically, far more productive for me than seeking constant reward and good feelings which always just ended up stressing me out and putting too much pressure on me to perform. Rather than facing your fears to overcome them, seek instead to just deliberately provoke your insecurities, merely to experience fear until you're so experienced that you are able to welcome fearful sensations. Rather than trying to achieve your goals, set goals you will fail to achieve. Rather than trying to achieve your goals, set goals you will fail to achieve even with your best efforts until you're immune to failure. Rather than trying to impress other people or avoid disapproval, seek as much public disapproval as you can handle so that you become shameless. Here are some practical examples of deliberately choosing discomfort from people I've worked with. A Brojo member, Mr. Y set himself the task of respectfully complimenting a woman he's attracted to each day. He doesn't stick around to try and keep the conversation going. He doesn't hit on them. He's merely doing this to get used to the social awkwardness around being honest with strangers about his attraction, to make himself immune to worrying what others think, and to learn more about people. Just the other day he did this at the gym with other guys watching, just so he could get that specific situation out of his unfamiliar zone. A former Brojo coach, David, told his wife about how he used to cheat on every single partner he'd ever had prior to her. David had never cheated on his wife, and there was no compelling reason to share this information with her, but he revealed it simply because he realized he was ashamed of it. In releasing this information, he released his shame, 
He exposed himself to embarrassment and being potentially judged, so he didn't have to worry about it after that, and so his wife could trust him more. Myself and some of my clients have a morning routine that includes an ice-cold shower. There are some health benefits to this. You can Google it. But the main point is simply to be physically uncomfortable. It makes the rest of the day seem easier. It wakes you up like you wouldn't believe. And after a few months of doing this, you become better able to take uncomfortable risks because you're now used to literally stepping into pain. The simplest way to leave your familiar zone is to do something new you feel uncertain about. It only needs to be something you're unfamiliar with or emotionally uncomfortable doing, preferably both. Especially helpful is something in which you feel sure you will not do well. Do it simply for the sake of experiencing uncertainty, to become okay with not knowing and not winning and not being approved of by others. Do something like that once per day for a month, and just notice how much your confidence grows. As per the theme of this book, try to focus on using increased honesty in your expressions to create uncomfortable situations. It seems counterintuitive to deliberately fail in order to build confidence, I know, but try looking at it this way. Success simply means you didn't find stronger competition. This isn't a bad thing, it just means you took a slightly easier route than others available. And too much of this will make you complacent, fragile, and outdated. It's failure that grows you. Alright, so those are a little sample, those three chapters from my upcoming book, The Naked Truth. If you're interested in hearing more about that book, or you want to know when it gets released, you can just email me, dan at brojo.co.nz. Thank you again for listening. Get in touch if you want more support, and I'll see you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.